This is Museum Secrets from the Ashmolean. I'm your host, Lucy Dawkins, and every day I'll be bringing you a bite-sized undercover story from our collections. Step in through the front doors and join me for some joyful, wonderful, and sometimes bizarre tales hidden in the objects. We will be going behind the scenes and beyond the labels, into dark corners of the storerooms and into the minds of the curators. Today, we're heading back to Gallery 14, the cast gallery. In the last episode, curator Jim Harris revealed the secrets of detachable genitalia in the cast collections. They have a lot to tell us about the social history of prudishness and art. I would recommend having a listen if you haven't already. But there are even more reasons why you might find scholars, curators and archaeologists carefully examining the crotches of ancient sculptures. Today's story is all about the ancient art of pubic hair. The cast gallery at the Ashmolean is a room stuffed wall to wall with plaster replicas of famous Greek and Roman sculptures. And as soon as you step through the doors, you will realise that you are surrounded by lots of naked men. And that's because being naked was a top leisure activity for an ancient Greek man. Less so for an ancient Greek woman who was generally encouraged to cover up and stay at home. But if you were a man, it was a normal part of your day to hang out with your mates in your birthday suit. The reason for this was that the social centre of ancient Greek life was the gymnasium, a place to exercise, socialise and talk about philosophy. Gymnasium means, in Greek, a place for getting naked. There was a no-clothes policy, with the exception of an accessory called a kunodesma or dog tie. It's a kind of ancient Greek high-performance sports underwear, a thin leather string which neatly ties up anything that you didn't want to get in the way. If you look closely, you'll find that there's actually someone wearing a Kuno Desmer in the cast gallery. He's an exhausted-looking boxer, sitting down as if taking a breather between rounds. Now, if you aren't wearing any clothes, but you do want to be fashionable, you have to work with everything you've got left. As a result, the Greeks like to style their hair. All their hair. We know this because statues and paintings of ancient Greek men show an amazing range of what are known as pubic moustaches. There are fishtails, starbursts, leaf shapes and diamonds. Some wear their moustaches cropped short and others luxuriously long and curly. Look twice in the cast gallery and you will see some serious manscaping. Actually, a pubic moustache is probably one of the first things you see when you walk into the Ashmolean. Right in the middle of the atrium, pointing regally into the museum, is a massive figure of the god Apollo from a temple at Olympia. He's sporting a flat-top tash with immaculately pointed tips. We also know a bit about depilatory techniques of the time. While the sophisticated ancient Egyptians had got around to inventing waxing, the Greek writer Aristophanes mentions either shaving or, more agonisingly, singeing off body hair. These pubic moustaches are surprisingly useful pieces of information when trying to understand a Greek sculpture. Apart from giving us an insight into the social habits and fashion standards of an ancient society, they can also help us date the sculpture. The Greeks liked to make freestanding statues of men. This kind of sculpture is called a kouros or a youth. 
for about 100 years, between 600 and 500 BC, most of them look pretty similar to each other. They're marching forwards, one foot in front of the other, their arms glued to their sides and their gaze fixed to the front. Because these kuroi conform to type, it can be tricky to date them exactly. So you have to look at all the clues available to try and narrow down a window in which they might have been made. Now, pubic moustaches, like every other fashion trend, changed with the times. It's not an exact art, but one piece of evidence that archaeologists might use to hypothesise when a sculpture was made is to compare its pubes to other figures which they already know the dates for. And there are even more revelations. Most people, when they think of Greek and Roman sculpture, probably think of shining monochrome white marbles. But in fact, they aren't supposed to be white at all. Originally, they were painted from head to toe, and we're talking full garish technicolour and gold leaf. The problem is that these paints are not very durable and tend to fade and flake off when exposed to the elements over time. And our misconceptions about how these sculptures ought to appear are largely down to an influential 18th century German archaeologist called Johann Winkelmann. He popularised the idea that pure white classical marbles are the embodiment of beauty. This was, of course, a position with racist foundations. For a long time, it was normal practice for collectors to scrub off all the paint traces and reveal the white stone underneath. Even so, there are still a few sculptures left with flecks of paint intact. With the development of advanced imaging technology, it's recently become possible to reconstruct the original colours. There are in fact a couple of casts in the Ashmolean with the paints recreated, and you can see how magnificently gaudy they would have been. Nothing like the serene white sculptures that we have come to think of. So that, of course, begs a crucial question. What colour were the pubic moustaches? Well, that takes us to New York, to the Metropolitan Museum, home to a particularly interesting Kuros, who wears his pubic hair in an elegant fishtail shape. Analysis using ultraviolet radiation has revealed that this fishtail was once electric blue. This shade of blue was made from a substance called azurite. But the Greeks didn't have a source of azurite. It was only found in the Sinai Desert and in parts of Egypt. The New York Chorus's pubes are therefore evidence of international trade routes between northern Africa and Greece. What a lot we can discover by lowering our gaze. And even then, that's not all. Around 490 BC, these Kuroi sculptures suddenly began to change from the rigid posture that had been fixed for the previous hundred years or so. The reasons for this artistic revolution are still a subject of debate, but the fact is, in the space of only a decade, Kuroi became more relaxed and naturalistic. They broke out of their stiff, striding poses and started to look like real, sinuous human bodies. The first signal of this change was that instead of spreading their weight equally between the front and back foot, sculptors began to make Kuroi shift onto one leg. This pose is called contraposto, and the asymmetrical distribution of weight turns the spine into an S-like curve, tips the shoulders, and shows all the muscles in the body working together as a system. A tiny change in posture, and suddenly the sculpture looks more alive. One of the earliest examples of this is a kouros called the Critios Boy, from the Acropolis in Athens, 
and there's also a copy of him in the cast gallery. The best place to look for this contraposto pose is in the pelvis, whereas the old-style Kuroi had dead level hips, the new ones had one tilted higher than the other. It's also particularly obvious when you look behind the Kuros. One buttock is relaxed, whilst the other one is tensed. The earliest sculptures in this period of change have the smallest of tilts in their hips, and as time went on, this became more and more pronounced. So again, if you want to work out a date for a Greek kouros, it's wise to look at its pelvis and bum. Many Greek sculptures only survive as fragments of the torso. As long as you can see the crotch, you've got what you need to make an educated guess about roughly when it was made. So next time you're in the cast gallery at the Ashmolean, don't be shy. There's a lot to find out if you're brave enough to look. If you want to take a look at some of the sculptures in the episode today and perhaps choose your favourite pubic moustache, you'll find links to them in the podcast notes. Join us tomorrow for a story about having faith that things will get better. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to rate, review and share the podcast. It helps other listeners find us.